It, it's really lovely. Like everything that we do, we try to keep within a hundred kilometer footprint of where we are here. You know, pigs are born here, they're raised here, they're personally taken down on the back of a ute with some bedding. The big thing for us, because again, we're small and it's not too far away, we can take them down late in the afternoon and they're processed within 12 hours. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Many pig farmers are second or third generation. Some get into it to be on the land and others because they love pigs. But for Helen Jones and her husband Grant from Happy Pig Farm, it was a happy accident. Helen, how are you? Yeah, well, yourself? I'm good. It's uh, it's one of the oddest ways to start a pig farm that I've heard is by accident. Um, <laughs> um, how did you find yourself to become a pig farmer? Oh, I sometimes question that myself, you know, sometimes how do we end up pig farmers? Look, I think we always had an affiliation. I grew up in Sydney, but always had an affiliation to the bush. My dad was born in Wellington, up near Dubbo. So while raised in Sydney, you know, spent most of our holidays back with the family at Wellow, as they affectionately call it. Um, so we always loved it. So once we had the kids, we sort of purchased, had the chance to purchase this farm in O'Connell. Um, it's a great little farm called Wanera, and it's um, just outside of Bathurst. And the original plan was we'd come up for a year and we'd head back to Sydney, you know, we just sort of keep it as a lifestyle block. But um, I suppose we dabbled in always having our own animals. We're mainly prime lamb producers to start with, and we did have, we still do have, um, you know, about a thousand ewes at the moment. So we turn off, you know, quite a few lambs. And um, so we always dabbled in things, and Grant's always just done home slaughters for our own meat. And um, so we had a couple of piglets for our own personal consumption. But I've got to tell you, I, I never wanted pigs. <laughs> you know, they, they they kill your fences. Containing pigs is near impossible. They're, they're so clever. But anyway, one day I'm at my kinesiologist appointment and um, she mentioned she had a client that could no longer look after her pigs and would be interested in having them. And I said no and Grant, and Grant said yes. So um, – Needless to say, it was about a week later. I thought we'd actually agreed on no, but about a week later, this um, lady shows up with four sows and a boar, and I thought, oh gosh, here we go. You know, anyway, they, they were gorgeous. We got they were Berkshires, and um, so these gorgeous-looking black girls came along, and we had one juvenile boar, um, and we affectionately named him Sock being an acronym for son of champion because we found out his father had been a Sydney Royal um, champion Berkshire. So I thought, oh, that's Wow. I know we inherited Sock. He's still going old Sock. He doesn't sort of hang with the ladies as much anymore, but um, he's a gorgeous big boy. Let me tell you, there's some funny stories with him. But anyway, so Sock grew up and I suppose he did what all good balls do. Um, and the next thing you know, you know, we're having piglets and, you know, one litre can be up to 17 piglets. <laughs> and so what, you know, quickly turned from four sows, you know, 30, 40, 50 piglets. And, you know, while Grant was good, you know, initially just processing them on farm and giving them to family and friends, it soon became obvious, you know, we had to look at some other commercial way either to sell them or rehome some of the sows. It was just becoming a bit over the top. And as you can imagine at the time, the farm really wasn't fenced for pigs and they were literally free-ranging. And, you know, we've got one little bit of nice, you know, on a farm you often got your paddocks and when drought they'll go brown, but one little bit of grass out the front that I just love. And I remember coming home from work one day and the pigs had got out and they just ripped up every bit of turf and every bit of garden that we had. And I was like, that's it. 
I'm going to shoot a lot of them, you know. And um, so it sort of just became this sort of natural progression of what we were going to do. And we're in this small little community and they have a festival down at the pub once a year and someone said, oh, do you want to come down and, you know, sell some of your pork? Maybe you can do some pork rolls. And I thought, well, that'd be good. And we're sitting at home and I suppose it's become more and more consciously, you know, we're really, the main priority for us is animal welfare and how they're treated and pigs, you know, can get the raw end of intensive farming to a certain point. And um, I remember sitting outside actually with Sock and he was in this big um, trough of water and I've got still got the photo and I said, God, he just looks happy, you know, and and the next thing you know, Happy Pig was born and that was about four years ago. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> we're accidental farmers, pig farmers, let me tell you. It was not intentional. Well, um, you're producing amazing pork. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you are and what's great at, for the environment. Uh, great about the environment you're in for pig farming. Yeah, I think, well, we're in, um, we're just outside of Bathurst. So it's sort of granite country that we've got. And the pigs live what we believe is the most natural sort of environment we've got. So I think what's gorgeous is how harmonious it actually, ha- actually has all worked. So as I said, we mainly focus on lambs. Um, but the pigs actually can be quite complementary to that process. So we have a focus, you know, in looking at regenerative agricultural practices. Excuse me. And so often we will rotate stock around and we'll rest paddocks in between. And pigs do an amazing thing. You know, they naturally dig. So, you know, they can go in after we've had like a winter cereal crop in and the pigs will come in, they eat up, you know, all the goodness that's left, turn over the soil and we'll just leave it there, you know, for a couple of months before something else happens in that particular paddock. So... Yeah, they're, they're quite complementary in that process. Um, you know, we've always been lucky. I still teach um, full-time off-farm. Grant historically has always looked, been on farms. He used to manage rural properties, so it's sort of a natural progression across into it, looking after our own animals. But, um, yeah, no, it's been interesting. <laughs> well, what's the transition been like for you? You know, you mentioned you grew up in uh, in Sydney, in Asheville, but... Um, you know, living in the country and living that life and working with animals, is it, is it what's surprised you about it? I think it's a lot harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> it's um, it's one of those things that it's it's constant. And I think you have a greater appreciation while you sort of, if you're in Sydney and you go to buy something, you know, it's quite convenient. But there's a lot of labour of love that's probably gone into that before that product gets there. And, you know, I think one of the hardest things initially for me was, you know, I've got this great old farmer up the road and he said to me, because um, Grant would be away for work a bit and he, he's, I'd come and a lamb would be down or something would be sick and something would die. And, you know, I'd be in tears and um, old Ed up the road would say, you know, Helen, where there's livestock, there's dead stock. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, this is a natural part of what you've got to go through. And I think the hardest thing, you know, I was looking at, you know, growing animals for human consumption is sometimes confronting, you know, do you get attached, I think was one of the thoughts before. And when, when I think of that, it's funny, when I first moved up here, I could not eat any of our animals. You know, we sold them and I would buy meat in. But I've got to be honest, now I've gone completely full circle and we only eat our meat. And, and you know, so much so when we go out, I only eat fish or vegetarian. Um, so I suppose, you know, like many people have said, they sort of, something has to die for something to actually be on that plate in a sense of what it is. And for me, I'd much prefer to eat what I've known, how the animals lived, how it's been treated, that nothing's been added into that system of that animal is something that actually 
yeah, I literally only eat our meat as we go through. So it's sort of like the full circle, isn't it? Like, and a big part of what we do, I guess, we're only really small. Um, we're, we're not intensive at all. But I think a big part of, you know, we've got a growing change in consumer behaviours and patterns where they actually are really more conscious of wanting to know where their food comes from and, and how the animal's being treated. And I think part of that mission is to educate people, um, yeah, on their choice. You know, if they, they choose to eat meat, it's important that maybe they, you know, understand where their meat comes from and the process that's actually involved. So there's sort of, I think more people are much more informed now. There's not the naivety perhaps that was in the past or I suppose that's the whole technology. You can access and Google anything and find out what's going on. But it's really important to know where it comes from, you know, how they're farmed. You mentioned uh, the welfare and the importance of it for the pigs, and you also mentioned Sock and that photo that you have of him in water. Um, tell us about life on the – what's life like on the farm for the pigs? Yeah, I well, I'd like to say they live a good life. <laughs> I think the whole point, um, you know, happy pigs definitely, they live a carefree and very relaxed life. They're very much used to us and the other animals around them, so they do coexist um, you know, with horses and sheep and a few cattle um, and bits and pieces and a couple of dash hounds that run and rant through the paddocks and everything else. And they're really quite chilled with all of that. So what I do love is that they live pretty much in nature as they would be doing. So they're in huge big paddocks. We've got a few um, shelters in paddocks that aren't as treed and um, as other ones. But, you know, it's interesting. You can build all that infrastructure for them. And what I really love is that if when they do farrow or, you know, have their babies, they can do that in whatever envir- environment they feel safest to do so. So when we have our sows coming on, we've only got about 16, I think 15, 16 sows at the moment, but when they come to farrowing, they move sort of into our maternity wing, like a farrowing paddock that we've got. There's only a couple of them ever in because they get a bit territorial when they're having their babies. But um, we, we've got these great little humpy shelters that they can go into. But, you know, we've got this one pig, Michelle, and she will not farrow down in a shelter. And, you know, we'll have straw or bedding in there, but for whatever reason she feels safest, she heads up into we've got this big tree line and we just know when she's gone missing, we go, okay, she must be close to farrowing. And sure enough, she'll be up in those trees and she'll stay there, she'll, she'll farrow down there and she's really relaxed. We can go up to her and how are you going? Yep, and, you know, pumps out the little piglets. And then... At about day two, three, she's like, okay, I'm ready now. Bring them back down into the paddock. And that's just for me and I think for all, you know, to know that your pigs are living that sort of life is really – and that often translates into the product that we actually have. You know, you've got these relaxed animals. I, I love how you sort of talked about the attachment to to the animals and how you've gone full circle to only eating your own um, own meat produced on the farm now. You mentioned you've got some stories about sock, sock and you also mentioned Michelle as well. Do you, tell us some stories about some of the pigs and what they get up to. Um, well, we, we generally try not to know. As we've got a few more, we generally don't name as many as we did, but we do actually have this amazing little girl called Maggie and um, she was a potty pig and often I don't get involved in when they're farrowing if there is a run to the litter. You just let nature take its course. And, of course, because they're not in crates, you know, it does unfortunately sometimes they do roll and crush a piglet. And I sometimes think that maybe it's nature why they have so many because, you know, they'll always lose a couple in that sort of scenario. But, look, we had little Maggie and um, 
She's a classic. Maggie and Katie, actually. With, well, at first I was bad at sexing and I thought Katie was a Kevin, but Kevin Bacon, but it turns out to be it was Katie. Um, but anyway, Katie's gone on and Maggie, for whatever reason, she's just stayed incredibly friendly and she was tiny. Like she was in a beanie, the size of a beanie. I didn't think she was going to make it. And um, I have a dash hound, Peanut, and he is the most maternal thing I've ever known. And Maggie was for the first oh, two weeks of her life in front of the fire in the house and then she progressively moved outside. And um, she's in the paddocks now with the other, like, ladies and bits and pieces, but she was joined for the first time. We held her off until a little bit later in life and she was joined. She's only just farrowed and had her piglets about six weeks ago, her first ever litter. And when she was due to farrow, she's up in the back paddock, which is about a kilometre from the house, and she's pushed through every fence to come home to Farrow in the backyard. I know. It was just um, And then it was very cute for about a day until they started going everywhere again. It's like, God, get her out of the yard, get her out. But, um, it, it, and that's just to me when they do Farrow, they want to know, they want to be somewhere safe. And being her first time, yeah, she brought herself home, which I always thought was pretty lovely. But anyway, that's Maggie. You mentioned uh, Sock, the son of a champion. Do you, have a, do you have a story you can share about him? Oh, other than he's just a likeable rogue. <laughs> he, he, you know, I think he's fussy on the ladies. Like he's, you think like any sort of particular, but he, he actually has a couple of favourites. Um, so, yeah, he had Serena and um, Nelly were his two favourite ladies. So he's retired now, but any chance. And that's what's been gorgeous is that with the troughs and water, when it warms up, like now, for example, we're filling natural wallows in the paddocks. But um, whenever he'd break out at home, you just find him in a big horse trough. In in the yard, mind you, with the stallion, is the boar in the, the stallion's water. I'm going, you know, both are pretty relaxed at that particular point in time. Hey, he's um he's a funny, but he's been replaced now with Paulie. Because, um, yeah, it's really hard. Berkshire, the actual genetics of pigs in Australia, it's quite a closed market. You can't bring genetics of pigs in. So you've got to be um, really careful, I suppose, about inbreeding and just making sure your lines are correct. So it's really hard to build numbers organically with Berkshires. So that's been a learning curve for us, um, part and parcel. T- tell us a little bit about, you know, the feed and what they're eating. And, and has that changed as you brought sort of the meat to market and built the, built the farm up? Yeah, it definitely has. I think um, diet for the pig is a big part of it. So these guys are pretty much pasture-raised, we call it with grain assist. So initially when we got the pigs, they were just running around eating grass and we were happy with that. But to get consistency in the product, you realise you do need to add a little bit more to it. So they start with that. With Every second day they get like a combo mix of a cereal grain just in a feeder. But we actually, from a sustainability point of view, have relationships with local businesses. So these guys receive fresh fruit and vegetables and bread um, and spent grain from a local brewery. So we do that. We basically go and collect that food Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. So Grain has we have a, um, a relationship with Woolworths in town. And, you know, we're talking every sort of second day. We might get about 10 wheelie bins of fresh fruit and vegetables. That's just sort of past its use-by date and not fit for human consumption. Yeah, they love it, especially watermelon. I think watermelon would have to be their favourite. 
Oh. <laughs> they're not too good on the citrus. Often I'll just pull the lemons out and I keep them separate for us, like put them to the side. But they absolutely love the fresh fruit and veggies and the bread. So anything, again, that's not fit for human consumption because they do a really good job. I think with Oz Harvest, some of that food will go to people. And then anything that's not quite, we go in and we pick that up. So they feed naturally in pasture, a bit of grain assist, and then three days a week they're getting fresh fruit and veggies and some bread. We also have um, an amazing brewery in town called Reckless Brewing and we go in there twice a week and they get the spent hops and the grain from them. So it's it's got a little bit of nutrition and it's more like a gut filler to some extent but it does definitely have a level of protein. And the other that they really love, we've got an artisan cheese maker and we occasionally go up to her and pick up the whey as a byproduct. Wow. I know. They love that. They um, absolutely – it's like 14% protein. It's like ice cream on the hips. It just sticks. <laughs> it just <laughs> – they, they really do. They love – they've got these little um, containers, little suckling things. They just come up and have a suckle of their little milkshake. Um, so it, it's really lovely. Like everything that we do, we try to keep within a 100-kilometre footprint of where we are here. So – you know, pigs are born here, they're raised here, they're – and this is the other thing I think that really makes a difference to how I suppose we work with our pigs. Because we're only small, we have the luxury of not having to put them on big trucks to take them down to the abattoirs and that's just the nature of the beast, how it is to, you know, to commercially sell, they have to go to the abattoirs. Um, so they're personally taken down on the back of a ute with some bedding and um, the big thing for us because, again, we're small and it's not too far away, we can take them down late in the afternoon and they're processed within 12 hours so they're not standing there for a long time stressing and worrying so to me that's a big part again in that full cycle just looking after them because they're amazingly smart animals you can't put past i think the intelligence of pigs they're they're very yeah. special animals all of this that you do and the world that you create for them what what's the end result how do you describe the meat that you get from these pigs that live this idyllic life Look, I think it definitely flows through. You can definitely tell the difference in the tenderness and I think flavour is a big part of what we do. And that's the big thing is at that point of difference. First of all, I think we start with a quality product and that's being a Berkshire pig. It's a totally different animal to your white commercial pigs. Um, they take longer to grow, so they're a slower growing pig to start with. And, you know, most people would understand that with that comes this amazing sort of marbling through the meat and a really lovely fat cover. And that fat is so white. You know, it's a really nice fat. We actually render that fat down and use that fat um, and sell the lard. Yeah, it's amazing what you can do with pig lard in itself as a byproduct. But it's really about just having that point of difference. And with them being uh, their diet, the diet directly impacts the moisture, I think, and the flavour in the meat. And we've definitely refined the feeding program to improve that fat content ratio and the flavour of the meat. Um, and, you know, pigs are an amazingly infusible meat. You know, you look at that Iberico, sorry, ham that they've got, like, finished on the acorns, they're black pigs. That has that sort of nutty flavour. And we recently actually, it's we're pretty lucky where we are. We're, um, our property neighbours, a good mate next door, Carmine, and he's Fish River Truffles. And our back neighbour backs onto Renzaglia Wines. And, yeah, it, it really – look, let me tell you, in lockdowns, we may not have toilet paper, but we had truffles, wine and pork. So so we were okay in lockdowns. We only have had a couple, but um, 
we were actually okay in that sort of scenario. But um, we actually just had a festival. We saw the second one last, it was last weekend, um, La Vendimia de la Poqueta, which is roughly translates to Festival of the Pig up the road. And with that, we had two products. One was Grant made these amazing pork and truffle sausages, which they were served. And that was just truffle and pork just seemed to work pretty well together. Um, And then what we did have was we had a pig that um, Renzo, Sam Renzaglia, was bringing down for six weeks that we hand-fed grapes to for the last six weeks of its life. Yeah, we affectionately named her Clarissa. Anyway, she was turned into salami for the festival and we made a few different pigs and different salamis and copagolo and different meats. And you could see, A, not just in the colour but the taste, like this total sort of tangy, this, um, it was just amazing to see what the difference, the finishing of the feed of one pig versus the other pigs and that was literally a grape-infused pig. Wow, that sounds extraordinary. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> that was pretty cool. You mentioned that it's still sort of small-scale farming, but where, where do you? What are your markets? Where are you selling the pork? Um, we just go to Bathurst ta- Farmers Markets, so that's once a month, the fourth weekend of the month, and then the next day after that, there's another smaller market at Tarana, which is sort of on its way to Lithgow between Bathurst and Lithgow. And we just head down to that. So we were going up to Orange the alternate weeks, but we've actually just scaled that back because, look, our local support's pretty strong and we just want to keep it as local and as least sort of transport as possible. And we find that a lot of people actually will come down to us now. It's taken a while to build that clientele, but it definitely is. And so we feel very blessed to be supported by our local community and, you know, have taken us in and are very loyal to us. Um, so we have regular clients that all got, you know, book, we have little combo packs or bits and pieces that you can have. Sometimes we add some lamb in with it as well. And and having that relationship has been, I suppose, probably one of the most rewarding parts of what we do, you know, building with the people around us. You mentioned that you only consume the meat that's produced on your own farm. Who's, who's the cook in the house and what's the family signature pork dish? Can you take us through it? <laughs> I'd say we're a combo of cooks. Um, I think it comes down to who's really inspired on the day to do what. <laughs> but, um, look, we definitely – when we um, have markets, like when we do the process, we process once a fortnight, so once for the markets at the end of the month and then just for direct consumer sales like from the farm on the alternate week. And whenever we do that, Grant makes pork schnitzel. And I know it seems really simple and not maybe not as much crackle as you might be thinking, but he makes this amazing schnitzel. And um, generally we have that every second Friday night because it's fresh literally straight out of what he's been preparing for the markets. And we just get a really nice salted Turkish bread. You get some kewpie mayo and some rocket and you add that shallow fried schnitzel and honestly you could think you're at the best pub in Australia. It's just... It really is a sort of go-to meal on a Friday. And then what I love to cook occasionally is um, I love a good pork, like pulled pork. So if you take the whole scotch fillet and often just sort of pan seal that first and if you just make like a spice rub often with just like onion, garlic powder and some thyme, paprika, and then I cook that in the slow cooker with like a bit of honey and butter. And when that sort of falls apart after about five hours, serve that over like a lentil and cauliflower pilaf. I've got to say that goes down a bit of a treat. You mentioned that uh, you didn't want to be a pig farmer, and Gr- and Grant did. Um, 
but obviously, you know, four years later, that's that's what you're doing. How what's how do you feel about it now? Is have you have they changed your mind? Oh, there's days. No, <laughs> no. I, look, I, I actually really enjoy it, and you know, it, it's a lot of work. Sometimes, even though we're not large scale, it is pretty much on every day. You have to do something with the pigs. So whether it's collecting the food from all those local businesses, like I mentioned before. Or if it's simple things like just, you know, making sure the water is flowing correctly and that you've got clean water, especially coming into summer, making sure their wallows are filled up. I, when you've got the time to sit back and actually look at what you've achieved, it's actually been a great journey. And um, I don't think we'll be stopping anytime soon. It's sort of a hard question, like where do you go with it next? But I think we'll just stay the sort of scale that we are. Um, you know, we haven't quite hit the best economies of scale, if that makes sense, but it's more a passion, and, you know. It's a side hustle that's become bigger than a side hustle, but it's complementary to the full time farming with the lamb. So, yeah, no, we'll just keep growing it. I think at this stage, the the move to O'Connell was only meant to be uh, temporary, and that he here you are living out there. Um, how, how has that move and the creation of the pig farm? How's it changed you? I think um, it's been an amazing personal journey. You're actually right. I never thought about it like that. It's um. Look, first of all, moving to O'Connell was always beautiful. It is about the people and it's the lifestyle and it's about making a difference and you actually feel you have that moment to do so. And, look, don't get me wrong, I love Sydney. I love the hustle and bustle of it and I love the convenience of things. But the pace of life probably now I would probably struggle to go back to. Um, It's just the everyday little simplicity of things, you know, when you can walk down in the afternoon and, I can look up the back paddock and the pigs are all doing their things. They're enjoying that nice sort of sunset. You might have a nice glass of wine from your neighbour across the back fences giving you a nice bottle. And it's just a simplicity. And I think there's an appreciation in that. If you can learn to calm, like I've definitely learned to calm down (laughs) and to move at a slower pace. And I tell you what I actually have learned is not to be so controlling. And I know that sounds terrible, but I can't control the weather. I can't control a lot of things in farming. You can only do what you can do. And that was really hard initially to think like, you know, especially that last drought that we went through, that was pretty confronting. Um, That was tough. And that's where the things like, you know, being able to access the food to be able to go pick up the scraps, that was a lifesaver to get us through. Um, So I definitely have a greater sense of appreciation for the little things. I've calmed down and I've learned not to, I can't control everything. So I've just got to go with the flow a little bit more. So if you can live a bit more like a pig, take it easy, stroll around, wallow in some water. <laughs> no, it's all good. You, you mentioned how hard it is to work on the farm, but what do you love about pig farming? Oh, I think I like the fact that the end result, what you actually see, the fruits of your labour. You know, it's definitely something like we didn't, actually think about that we'd be in a food industry, if that makes sense. Like we've always loved food and really enjoyed growing up and sharing it, but I guess we never thought we'd end up expanding into it by default. And it's funny, I don't think of ourselves in the food industry, if that makes sense. I just think we sort of sell pigs. But I think what's been lovely is being able to share that with people. And we have made the most amazing friends along the way. And by default, we're in this, we're on the pseudo fringe of a foodie industry that we didn't realise we'd fit into, but we've become a part of. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's, been, that's been really lovely. 
Well, Helen, it's been an absolute joy to have you on The Crackling today to hear just a part of your story. Um, Look forward to catching up again and hearing much more of it. So please stay in touch. Sounds like a plan. Thanks for having me. It's been wonderful. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.